out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello again. Literally again. This is David East on the CD6 show. This is part two of The Prats. Um, all the way from Edinburgh, Scotland. You probably knew that, didn't you? Anyway, um, and if you've just listened to part one, you'll realise they, they were from 1977 to 81. Very interesting facts. And I'm in, the com- in conversation with Paul McLaughlin and David Maguire. And um, right, part two, indeed. I think this is where we almost get up to the film story. Right, OK. Yes, so um, this is it. And this is um, us following on from that first part. I know, I'm very concise about this, aren't I? Anyway, Paul... Take it away. I I was just thinking about you know the, those those years. I mean we because we were again because we were younger than most of the bands that were starting around then. I mean we literally were listening to John Peel under the bed covers. Mm-hmm. I mean you know we we had those little you had those little um, plastic headphone pieces. They were mono. They were like one. You could only stick them in one ear. You didn't have headphones as we now know them. Yes. Um, and you, I would, I remember you was was told to be in bed by a certain time, and of course, Peel was on from ten till twelve, and you know you would we'd listen to that uh, to, to as much as we could of it. Um, and the first time we got a phone call out of the blue, um, we were in Dave's your house, Dave, and, and your mother's mm-hmm. house rather, and we literally got a phone call, and it was John Peel, um, mm-hmm. and we were like, he was such an idol. Um, at, at that time, he was just so so kind of important to all kinds of things, and because music, it just it wasn't really available then. No, it this, was is, scarce. this is true. It was very it true. Was yes, really that's... scarce. And he was so therefore his influence on that side of things was was immense. It was like you know, in a world where you only had like a couple of television stations. You watched a lot of garbage, right? You watched a lot of rubbish, and similarly with radio, you listened to a lot of rubbish because most of it was. Um, but Peel was a beacon amongst that. And then when we got this kind of phone call out of the blue, you know, we were huddled round the the earpiece of the of the telephone receiver, um, you know, listening to his voice. I mean, that sounds. <laughs> I mean, it kind of shows our perhaps we were so childish, but. It was incredible, and it, and it, and we set up this session, and he said, you know, yeah. well, we we can't really bring it down to London, but you know, even then, I suppose there was some safeguarding concerns. <laughs> um, so yeah. it was like you guys could just record it. We'll give you a bunch of money. You go and record it in in, in Edinburgh yeah. somewhere, which which we then did. Um, and it was really the excitement of doing things like that for the first time, making a record, making a session, being at school, and kind of. It wasn't like you could really sort of brag about it to people because in a Scottish comprehensive secondary school, you really had to be careful what you shared. You know what I mean? There's many things that could lead to a beating, you know, or as we would say, a doing. Um, So kind of bragging about being on the radio was really not something, you know, you you just wouldn't want to go there. Um, So we had this little kind of... Insular world where maybe one or two of us kind of knew this sort of secret code that we were we had yeah. this almost this double life, um, but it was it was incredible. I mean, we went to went to Manchester. One of the we we, we managed to get a gig at the factory, which was the old. You'll know David E. It was obviously the old factory. It wasn't the the new kind of eighties yes. factory. 
um, and it was um, it was quite an experience. I mean, the, the compare for the evening was Gordon the Moron um, <laughs> from from Jilted John. Yes. You know, and we were amazed that there was an actual real person called Gordon, <laughs> yes. the moron. Um, and he, he relished, uh, you know, from what I remember, he's, he's relished the name and his, his notoriety. So we even did a cover of Jilted John, I remember at one point, Dave, you'll recall. Yeah. And, uh, of course, when it got to the, the, the basics of that song are pretty straightforward, really, although we didn't have any chords. But when there was a bass solo in it, I seem to remember... And our, our bass player at the time, unfortunately, couldn't quite master it. So it's quite an important part because basically everybody stops for the bass at that point. And he would begin in kind of enthusiastically, in earnest, and then he'd get halfway up the fretboard and it would just fall apart. And we would all immediately just jump back in uh, with, 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 and save him. Um, saved the blushes so you know there was lots of little experiences like that we went our first time in Manchester it was just like what on earth why why is why are people interested I mean we didn't have a massive following there's no question about that it was very very it was niche you know it was it, even <laughs> we didn't even know what niche meant no um, but now of <laughs> with the internet you know niche can be actually a thing you know, because yeah. people in, in 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 Norfolk or in I don't know San Francisco, uh, the guy from the, the the film director or whoever, you know, you can pull, you can sort of pull together these little threads of of yeah. of interest. Yeah, and absolutely. that's been a fantastic thing. That's actually you know renewed interest. I mean, we we always wanted a vinyl and a vinyl album. You know, we wanted an, an LP. It was we never knew there was such a thing other than vinyl, of course. Um, and we we kind of longed for that. We really wanted to make an album, and we never did at the time. We, we split up and all went our separate ways. And here, sure enough, in you know whatever year it is, twenty twenty, you know we're about to have a vinyl album for the first time ever, which, which is very exciting. Well, did you? I mean, so when the band splits, you know, as with everything, you know, it's always a bit raw, and you have to also all go your separate ways then what happens to the to the members and your life because obviously you know like i don't know there's a few exceptions people like david bowie spent the sort of the 60s making some pretty awful music then the 70s obviously it all clicks and things go incredibly well and you yeah. know he, he hits that journey so it's kind of an interesting story in a way that you know he did spend five six years of the 60s making pretty unfor you know pretty forgettable music really and we would never want to listen yeah. to it hadn't been the fact that 1971 you know he suddenly hits the big time so then how do you all sort of cope with with life post band well I, um, it, it's interesting because I mean I think it did have a kind of profound effect on us on us all you know I mean I think you know my mum always says that that it had a bad effect on my younger brother kind of Greg maybe because he was so young um, but it actually had a really good effect on on um, on my older brother Jeff and and um, and myself. So um, I don't know. I think there was always a real sense of kind of you know having done something that. I mean, Paul's thing about kind of double life is absolutely right. You know, having having done something that people just you know weren't aware of, or occasionally you would come across people who were aware of, and who would be kind of you know wonderstruck that like oh my god that was you that was like you know Inverness what a mess or Disco Pop and you know like that was you know these kind of relatively kind of you know, well-known kind of songs among certain niches as Paul would say um so so I don't know that there was a sense 
I mean, I, I, you know, I've played in kind of bands. I've kind of drummed um, for, you know, for, um, I mean, I still do and, and did, you know, like a few, you know, for a few years kind of on and off kind of afterwards. But I had the sense that I'd, you know, I'd done the stuff that I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I'd had a couple of, you know, I had singles out on, um, on Rough Trade, I'd been on the John Peel program, I'd, you know, played the Nashville, played the factory, you know, I'd done all those kind of things, you know. So, so, so I didn't have quite the kind of the, um, I don't know, I suppose I didn't have quite the kind of the angst that a lot of people in kind of bands would have in their kind of later teens or kind of early 20s and a kind of desperation to kind of, you know, to do stuff. Because I, I, I was already proud of some of the stuff that I'd, that I'd done, right? Yes. So, um, so I kind of played music and I'm, and I'm a bit more kind of relaxed about it, you know, these days, you know. Um, but, but, I mean, it was a weird, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, you know, it was a really kind of seminal time, um, you know, to be involved in that kind of stuff and, and to be involved in it so young, you know, I think it was just, um, I mean, it was fantastic. It was, but it was, you know, it, it certainly kind of, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, it knocked you out of kilter in terms of, you know, your kind of various different kind of milestones and what you ought to be going through at kind of different stages in your life because you'd actually done quite a big thing. Um, yes, well, absolutely. It's interesting. I, I'm I'm still uh, enjoying the fact that I never thought I'd, I'd hear the, the Pratt's being compared to David Bowie. David, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm suggesting maybe you should have another listen to um, a couple of our tracks. But, but no, it, it's um, it was, I think, in a sense, because we had that foreshortened kind of thing we didn't it didn't it wasn't prolonged so mm. by the time we were 18 it was done and dusted and for most mm. people I suppose 18 would be around the time things were just getting going so for me sort of immediately after the band split up and everything you know I, I did which is I kind of floundered a bit because I wanted to do continue with my music um there wasn't really an outlet. There was one or two things that happened. Uh, there was another one or two little bits and pieces happened, but nothing really compared to the band and the like and the interest that the band had, even though it was relatively, you know, pretty small. Um, so I think there was quite a bit of adjustment yes. uh, initially, certainly. But then, you know, one's life takes a different different path. And uh, I mean, obviously, I think like Dave, although I haven't been performing dave's continued to perform um i i'm not not so much um but i do still play music and get together with friends and and do a little bit here and there and it's it's you know it, it, music is in in your in your once you've got it in there it's it's in your soul forever and i mean you know i i often think talking about alternative lives you know i sort of think well you know maybe i could get the band on the road and and just get out there and and do, you know gig go from town to town like the old days of course it's a fantasy but uh, it's one yeah. that because we've we've had a tiny little sliver of that yeah. in yeah. our old in our past life i suppose yeah. we've tasted it so we kind of know the good of it and maybe the bad of it as well yeah. so it's, well, it's you, just you, been great to have that you did take you know i mean you probably obviously you don't understand at the time we no one does but you realize you ticked an awful lot of boxes you know got on top you know got on you know, the John Peel show, played gigs, mm. you know, we're in the, you know, I mean, there's all the things that most, a lot of people in the 80s, that was what they kind of, oh, we, we just wanted to form the band, you know, being unemployed, at, I remember from being in that sort of social set of life, you know, where you're all sort of left of centre and sort of wanting to, 
you know you didn't really care you just wanted to be unemployed sort of mess about a lot really it didn't it wasn't a big stigma at the time it seemed to be almost no. a career path didn't it or some part <laughs> and and just you know for a lot of bands you know it was just get played on john peel that was it and it's like oh actually so what should we do next well let's get another single and then you know before you know it you've you've met the devil at the crossroads and you're desperate for rock and roll fame but did you i mean obviously in the 80s this is the period that i sort of become more obsessed with music um right. you know you suddenly saw all the, the the indie world that happened you know in especially scotland you had 53rd and third records you had the <laughs> pastel and the pastels you had the shop assistants you had creation records you had jesus and the mary chain did you think god you you weren't even 20 did you think actually we we you know this is what how could, should we sort of be part of this scene um yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose, I suppose, because you know there already was a kind of scene. You know, I suppose when we were around, so you know, bands like the, the Scars and kind of uh, Joseph Kay and and you know the Visitors and stuff, who, who were the kind of forerunners to you know to all of that. So we were kind of part of that, really. Like, and um, I mean, I, I kind of know some of the people that were involved in you know Jesse Garn and the Desperados and Roque Capel and 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 those you know those those sort of bands. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was great kind of going to see them and um, you know I, and. The bands that I was in at the time would maybe kind of support some of those bands, but it was great to know that you know, hey, I was in the press. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. You know, and it... there was a certain kind of cachet amongst that kind of amongst that crowd for you know for because you know they knew who you were and they knew the kind of stuff you know they knew they knew Disco Pope, they knew Inverness, they knew maybe General Davis and stuff. You know, but like um, so they kind of knew the world that you'd that you'd that you'd come from. So um, yeah, I, I suppose I've always located what we did. Because one, one of the bands, because there were sort of several bands that everyone said were really important during the 80s. You know, there was the Smiths, mm. um, the Go-Betweens, and everyone mentions, um, or the June Brides as well, also Orange Juice, who were a bit, you know, yeah. with the famous Alan Horn and his, you know, mm. I don't know, the manager of that band, and uh, Edwin Collins, and everyone yeah. goes on about early, you know, Orange Juice. So I just wondered, you know, by then you'd obviously learnt your instruments and thinking this could be our next musical adventure. I just wondered if you just felt a little bit like, oh, we've we've helped create the indie scene in a bizarre way. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure it. necessarily sort of like that. I mean, the the, I mean, Orange Juice were around when we were still kind of together. Yeah. Um, we saw Orange Juice, Joseph K, those those kind of bands, which were they were really impressive. I mean, frankly. You know, I think we knew our limitations a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we 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 tried to do well, but we were we were not under any great illusions. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but we we had we did. I remember lots of conversations about, and and this was common at the time was right. Would we go on top of the pops if we were asked? <laughs> you know. That was obviously a sellout position, and I remember we would have these, you know, sixteen-year-olds talking yeah. about would we take the offer? You know, we obviously would take the John Peel. That's no question. But yeah. would we actually go on top of it? Nah, I don't think we should. That's total sellout business. Yeah. But I mean, no, we were right? we, no, we were never, we were never in that sort of league. We did, we kind of knew our limitations, I think. And I mean, in terms of. Yeah. I do think, you know, obviously music changed then. It was like a, a blooming of a thousand flowers and then suddenly a lot of them just overextended and, and weathered one way or another. We we amongst them. Um, and then new music coming along. I mean, I, I kind of struggled with some of the newer music. I mean, obviously things like Joy Division, fantastic, Into New Order. But I mean, I, I found David E, I don't know, and David, your experiences, but I did find the 80s 
a kind of difficult decade for music, quite frankly. I mean, it was I, I went, I left Edinburgh, I went to to the north of England, and then ended up in London. And I mean, it was it was only when bands like Felt um, came along and the Go Betweens that I kind of really started reconnecting with that side of music. Right. So you know, I'd sort of gotten off, maybe not off kilter, but all into some of the kind of, I don't know, sort of hip-hop things that were happening and that. You know, I remember you getting into that, yeah. yeah. I was into all that kind of stuff. So I, I yeah. kind of went off into that wilderness, which for a, a young Scottish person was probably pretty alien stuff. But um, <laughs> it was really only in there. And the, I don't know when felt come around, to my knowledge anyway, but, you know, those sort of bands. And then I started to maybe reconnect with them in London a little bit. Yeah. Um, but did I did think... miss, you know, I, I kind of missed the old, the old world. But did you, I mean, during that period, because I think I did an interview with Lawrence and I think he, I can't remember when they started, but he had something like an album a year during the 80s. But I don't know if he started exactly at 1980, but it was one of those, there was him and a guy called Momus from Scotland. And I remember thinking, my God, you literally put an album out a year, you know, and he said, yeah, that was was something that I was trying for. And um, and I think he almost achieved it. So it was quite weird. But I, I really, you know, for me, again, you know, going back to John Peel, you know, he anything that John Peel played, I would go, right, I like that because it's, you know, must be <laughs> he's played it. So I would, you know, anything from the, you know, like Jesus and Mary Jane to the <laughs> boys to, you know, suddenly hip hop, you know, the early Def Jam stuff with LL Cool J and Public Enemy and Roxley <laughs> Chante and, you know, all that kind of stuff and the street sound compilations that came out that you would sort of, you know, T La Rock and people. So I think I just kind of would like it regardless because it was like, well, he's played it. If Steve Wright in the afternoon played it, it didn't count. You know, I wasn't going to excited about, you know, Private Dancer by Tina Turner, but I was (laughs) I was going to stick with anything that, you know, uh, John Peel played and the more obscure and difficult, the better. I don't know why yeah. it, it completely alienated me from anybody that I could have a conversation with because most people didn't care about the latest obscure, you know, John yeah. session. Whereas I was really like, no, this is really important, you know. That's right. right. Cabaret Voltaire's new <laughs> album simply, simply has to be listened to. <laughs> You're going to like me, it regardless. <laughs> but for for me, um, when I started going back into some of the bands and seeing bands, um, it was it was the Beastie Boys that really had that flavour of because I, I wasn't really into all the kind of when it got into like oi the oi punk or whatever you know when it all started to go into that sort of side of it I, I wasn't into any of that but but then when the Beastie Boys come along there was a kind of again maybe I was just sold on the the myth of it but here was some people who were you know trashing things and making a lot of noise and being pretty obnoxious and that that really appealed to me <laughs> so i remember seeing yeah. them in brixton and, and uh on the way home looking out for uh because it was mercedes benz uh the, 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 the tops little, of the the logos yes. of the thing it was like you didn't, you didn't steal oh, one. no of course not furious. of course not david yeah i would never have done that but that was the sort of thing that was going on so then, i mean then obviously careers jobs and life get you know going and all that kind of stuff so then what happens i mean it must have been 2004 you get the jonathan dem is it demi demi i think yeah Demi, do you pronounce it don't we so so um that must have when so what was the story behind that suddenly appearing in your inbox if we had an inbox i don't know if we did yes so we, we all went our separate ways um at, at least i certainly i, I was miles away in uh, in 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 the depths of of England, 
Um, and I'd lost touch with everyone from the band. And I got a phone call. I was on a train going back to my home in Chelmsford. And I remember I got a phone call and on the mobile and it was American accent. And it was like, hi, is that Paul McLaughlin? I was like, yeah. He went, Paul McLaughlin from the Prats? <laughs> and I mean, I had literally not heard that <laughs> those words for probably, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, I thought it was a wind-up. Um, and it was like, who is this? And it was like, I'm a, I'm a producer. You may have heard of a film director, Jonathan Demme. Um, he made Silence of the Lambs. You might have heard of it. I'm like, what? Yes, <laughs> of course I've heard of it. Um, and, you know, he said, well, Jonathan is a real big fan of your music. And he would love to put uh, some of your music in a in a, in a, a motion picture that Paramount Pictures are producing. Um, and what do you think? You know, and I mean, literally before I got off the train, we'd we'd done the deal. The, the money was sorted. Um, we were on board. This yeah. was it. The answer is yes. The answer so, is always yes. Absolutely. So I then thought, how do I get in touch with the the, the gang? So I put an advert in the paper, in the Scottish paper, in the Edinburgh Evening News. Um, I took out a small, you know, a small ad, which, of course, in those days, that's what you, well, that one of the things yes. you did was pretty much, I won't say pre-internet, but certainly there was not the sort of connections that there yeah. are now. No Facebook, no nothing. So I put an advert in the paper, and Dave, you, looked, you saw it. Well, it was Pratt's, it was, you know, are you a Pratt? You know, right, calling all prats or something. Calling like all prats. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who uh, said, uh, Dave, you, you used to be in a band called the Prats, didn't you? There's this advert in the evening news saying, call it all prats. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, David, I'm sure. And he, he, said, he said, no, 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 I'm serious, I'm serious. Like, so, so we arranged to meet and he had the evening news with him and he kind of showed, he showed me it. Paradoxically, though, you know, bizarrely, that, that I actually knew and worked alongside Paul's dad at, at, at that time. So he could, he could have got in touch with me. Through I could have just asked my dad. dad. He probably didn't know that. <laughs> but, I mean, like an old, like an old fisherman's net, the, the advert <laughs> collected quite a few things. Um, some some fish, uh, Dave, you got in touch. Some um, bowl, should we say. <laughs> the, the, the advert was so kind of, because it, it did cover a little, a few bases, it, we got some strange, I got some strange replies, what, some of which were like in code and stuff and, and involving meeting, meeting them in strange parts of Edinburgh. Um, but it, it did it did capture it did capture the fish, and but bit by bit we sort of got everybody back in touch and, yeah. and told them the tale. And I at the time I was working for the the journalist union, the, the National Union of Journalists, and so in my kind of day job I was representing um, broadcasting members in in that field. So I would talk to journalists from various outlets and and happened to be talking to a guy. Who I was assisting, who worked at Channel Four, and he was a—he uh, happened to mention that in his spare time he did a bit of drumming, you know. So I kind of said to him, "Oh, that's interesting." I said, "I tell you, something happened to me just not long ago. We got this call, you know, and I, I explained to him what happened, and we got this call from America, and going to be in a film, and it's just totally bizarre." And he was like, "He says, oh, he says uh, the arts correspondent Nick Glass. He says I'm sure he'd be interested in this. Why don't I talk to him?" I said, sure, fair enough. So the next thing, Nick Glass is on the phone to me saying, what's all this about then? And I 
told him the story and whatever. So anyway, the premiere was coming up in London. He said, the premiere's going to be on. It's at the London, um, what do you call it? The London Film Festival. He says, I'm going along to, Demi's in town. I'm going along to see him. Um, I'm going to ask him about the Pratt. So sure enough, he goes along and Demi's there. He says, these things are like, these these sort of junkets. So these, the, It's like um, a, a rotating hamster wheel. You know, they come in, they get 10 minutes, they ask the same questions. The, <laughs> the director gives the board answer yeah. and, and really is 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 very soporific. Um, so anyway, Demi, uh, Philip Glass goes in. Not, is it Philip? Nick, Nick Glass, not Nick Philip Glass. Glass. <laughs> Nick Glass goes in. I don't know if he's any relation, by the way. He goes in and he says, so so Jonathan, he says, uh, interested in the film and everything. And he says, I'm particularly interested in some of the music choices. He says, I noticed you've chosen a, a band from Edinburgh, a Scottish band called The Prats. So apparently Demi at this point, wakes up right <laughs> it comes out of his slumber and says hey how do you know the Prats so sure enough the journalist says well I've just been talking to the guy the guy that was the singer and what have you so next thing I get a phone call back and Glass uh, says to me look he says you've been invited to the premiere um, and uh, I've got you you know a couple of tickets and whatever else and he says would you mind there's a reception beforehand would you mind co- coming along and can I bring the a film crew and film it so I was like no problem absolutely this sounds fantastic so my wife and I went down to the premiere and and sure enough there's this camera there and there's a guy holding a light in our face and and glass and Nick Glass following us around as we w- go through the crowd and of course it's a bit like uh, a, a moth to a flame when you have a camera pointed in your face people think that you're famous so we were getting like people were like oh look who is it it's him what is it (laughs) and they were trying to get get, i don't know if it was even selfies in those days but it was certainly it attracted some interest and uh and there we were sort of talking to demi and and the 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 producer was uh because the sinatra's on the rights to the film uh so there was a, a Sinatra involved. And then this woman comes up to me and she says, uh, well, she says, if, if, if nobody's going to introduce me, I, I'm going to have to introduce myself. <laughs> and, and I says, oh, it's nice to meet you. I'm Paul McLaughlin. She says, I know who you are. She says, you're Paul McLaughlin. She says, I'm, and I, I, I have to confess, I don't remember her name, but she said, I'm such and such. I am the, I, I, I'm the um, artistic director of the London Film Festival, you know, and it's such a pleasure to meet you. And I mean, me and my wife were like, what on earth is going on here? But Demi, Demi's, uh, he was a lovely man uh, when we talked together. I spent, you know, a very short time with him, but. He was very generous, and uh, and he's unfortunately he's dead now. But he he said, I said, what's this? Because I hadn't seen the film, of course. I says, what? Tell me about it. What's it going to be like? He says, well, he says, imagine, he says, imagine a movie is like two hundred and ten segments. He says, and and imagine uh, each of those two hundred and ten segments is one one segment. He says, your music. He says is in almost one whole of a segment, <laughs> which it just, it was like, he says, that bit of that more picture, that is all yours. And so we had this chat at the premiere and then we, we said, right, everybody take your seats. So we went into Leicester Square, West End Leicester Square, 
sat in there in the middle. Up comes Demi up to the front of the, the you know, how they do these little intros at the beginning. He says, oh, ladies and gentlemen, he says, before we begin, he says, just want to introduce a couple of people. He says, uh, here we have Leif Shriver, uh, one of the stars of the movie. Leif, where are you? And everybody claps, you know, he goes, uh, and we've got the writers. He says, we've got the writers, uh, Joe Bloggs and uh, whoever. And they get a little round of applause. And then he says, and there's a Sinatra. I can't remember which one. He goes, there's a Sinatra. So they get there. And he says, and finally, he says, I hope you'll enjoy the movie that you're about to see, he says. But finally, he says, I'd like to say, it's with absolute pleasure, he says, I, I'm delighted to say that uh, Paul McLaughlin from the Scottish punk band, The Prats, is here with us tonight. And literally, the whole of Leicester Square, the clap, as the clap, uh, the, clap the, the, the applause uh, continue and, and start to fade, he walks off the stage, the lights go down, up comes the movie. It's Iraq, sunrise in Iraq. It's it's a hundred and whatever feet wide, and there I am sitting there, and there comes the music of General Davis of the Prats, and I turned to my wife and I said, "Kill me now! I will <laughs> never be happier than this." I tell you, it was such a wonderful moment. So I thank Demi for that. I thank the Prats for that. Um, I thank my lucky stars for that. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been quite a journey and quite a quite a ride. Wow, that is that is unbelievable, isn't it? You must have just yes, it is hard to put that into words, really, isn't it? What you made when you were and it was a big segment on Channel Four News, you know, it was one of their kind of in depth kind of reports, you know. Um, so you know, and you know, there was lots of our music on it and stuff like that as well. It was great. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> We milked it, Dave. We milked it. So, oh, we, 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 so, have, we, are, we are very, very good at that. <laughs> yeah. So on an interesting level, did you have the publishing rights to it? Did you know? Because did it appear on the soundtrack and stuff like that? It yeah, didn't it was... actually appear on the the album that was that was released. I mean, I think that was a that was um, oh, it was a composer, wasn't it? I can't remember. I can't remember her name. So no. they didn't use the um oh, the bloody, kind of yeah. snippets that they use from from songs because the bit you know paul was saying it at, at the start of the film um there's about four or five songs there's a gang of four song i think there's a kind of desperate bicycles one as well there's you know so the guys are kind of flipping from you know one radio station to the other and it's playing a little bits of others so there's there's 43 seconds of hours that's that's the, yeah that's, that's how much the segment is kind of worth did it, did it because i know <laughs> nick Lowe um he did What's so what, something about peace, love, and understanding? What's so funny what, about peace, love, and understanding? Yes, and that yeah. appeared in yeah. some massive soundtrack, to it, like The Bodyguard. Yes, and right. I think he yeah. suddenly was like, "By the way, this is a million pound check." And it was like, "Wow!" And that was, you know, that was, and that had been performed by Elvis Costello. And I don't even think they could hear it That's in the right. film, but it was on the soundtrack, so that was his retirement. Did you sort of gain anything from it? Modest, modest sums were distributed. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're always with with Hollywood. There's always money involved, you know. Yeah. Um, no question. And that was that was an absolute uh, an additional kind of bonus. Um, yeah. Didn't, modest, didn't I they mean, have all sorts of hassle with um, with tax and all that kind of stuff? Wasn't there all sorts of things? And you you have to register as a kind of citizen or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It was remember. quite hard to actually kind of can't physically remember. get the money. You know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, can't yeah, remember. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was. It was more than, it was than a little bit of something. before. It was more than six <laughs> yeah. for the John Peel yeah. session. So then, oh look, yes. coming to the um, to the present day, you get the the albums now coming out in vinyl. Mm -hmm. 
which is fantastic with the John Peel sessions. Yep. Which is all very good. But sadly, one of your members passed away. Yeah, my brother Jeff um, died at uh, the beginning of, of July. So, um, you know, he was he was aware of, of the, um, the album. He was really kind of keen on it. You know, uh, myself and Paul um, and him had met a couple of times on Zoom and we met with um, Ben from, from uh, the record company and stuff. And he was incredibly enthusiastic about it. Um, he had a two and a half year battle with, with, uh, with cancer um and and yeah and 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 i took a very kind of rapid kind of downhill um at at, at, at the beginning of, of of july he'd been in hospital a couple of times um and then when he came, he came out he came out but it was with an nhs bed and with nursing support and stuff so he was clearly home to home to then um, to die um so but on the on the on so that was on the, on the tuesday evening he died but on the Friday, he'd had a couple of his friends round, and they were playing. They were playing music, and he was playing the guitar, and they were singing. They were saying "Disco Pope" and things, you know, and, and which was one of the songs that was played at his his funeral as well. So, so um, yeah, I mean, he was he was you know he was great. He was you know he, he was he was um, yeah yeah, and was very enthusiastic about um, about this kind of project, you know, and um, so yeah, it's a, a kind of massive loss. I mean, he was you know fifty eight years old. I mean, it's, uh, uh, and incredibly fit as well. I mean, he's a kind of you know cyclist, tennis player, footballer. You know, he was he was kind of um, very very kind of active. You know, the, the never never smoked hardly. You know, and um, liked liked a glass of wine and stuff. But but you know, it just mm -hmm. just that kind of you know obviously at, at the kind of the, you know the aggregate kind of level then you know. Kind of lifestyle and stuff kind of you know makes a makes makes a difference but at the individual level it, it's just a lottery really like and 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 jeff kind of shows that you know so so um yeah so so it's 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 um um yeah yeah it's, it's something we're all still coming to terms with you know yeah that's horrendous but at least you know it's kind of nice that the, he knew the album was gonna eventually yeah absolutely yeah. and he was very keen you know yeah, God, it's a it's an amazing story, actually, isn't it? It's absolutely mm, mm, mm. it's so boggling that something that you did when you were so young. Yeah, but, you know, and what's kind of been interesting doing the show is that actually because it's you know mostly indie bands in the eighties, I realised there is a slight theory, another one of my hazy theories. But you know, twenty five years seem to be a passing of time where you know you do whatever you do, and then you get on with the rest of your life, and you become a get home, blah blah, and all that kind of stuff. And then you sometimes look back and not with rose-tinted sunglasses, but actually you think, actually, a lot of that was much better than I remember. You know, it's kind of, some of it is like, you know, a lot of the artwork or the flyers or the, you know, people have been putting out books of flyers in that period or sort of people, bands who just put out flexi-disc and a few singles, some, some random record company in, I don't know, New York or Berlin or Germany sort of, you know, get together and say, Can, oh, we'd love to put out a 20 tracks in a C CD of the, the work you did because you never did an album, you just did a few bits and pieces and oh, we'll do a nice booklet and suddenly it's like actually it sounds much better than we kind of remember so it's a it's quite nice I know it's a bit archiving and it is a bit looking back but at the same time and you mentioned uh, Paul as well is that when things you know you couldn't always get to hear or even see stuff back in those days because unless because there just wasn't the internet. So sometimes you go, oh my God, I really want to hear such and such, but unless you went and bought it, and if you didn't mm. have much money, you didn't want to go and buy it. So it just kind of would go by and then you'd sort of, something else would happen. And then years later, you'd go back and I've, I've sort of discovered lots of bands from the eighties that I missed the first time. And it's like, 
it's made you go, oh yes. Well, I, you know, you were listening, I was listening to certain bands and another band came along, you missed it. And it was, oh, well, that's gone. 20 years later, you yeah. actually, that's pretty good. You know, and it isn't necessarily like just wanting to be, you know, harking back to the glory days. I think I think we probably had our moments. You know, there was there's one or two tracks that that clearly I don't think would stand the test of time. But there's one <laughs> or two that maybe would. Um, yes. Certainly from my my perspective. Um, so yeah, and it is nice. It's nice to be able to look back and see that, and and you know, to have something even you know like this to be able to to talk and reminisce a little about those days and and you know it's it's it was a special time. Um, <laughs> And and it's still with us in some respects. So, I mean, the, the album it will be really interesting to see, give give people an opportunity to yes. to get get hold of it, and it puts it all in one place. And and one of the things that was um, that came from the 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 movie interest was that we did we managed to sort of curate the the tapes and the various live performances and various things because one of the the people that was close to the band um this guy called david romans he he kind of kept hold of lots of material from the time as you as you say david e that that wasn't it was maybe lost and then we, we managed to kind of pull it all back together we got in touch with david and he 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 was able to supply various things that we we thought were gone forever so that's how the album you know has, has been able to put, put all those elements in there um and and so yeah it's nice it's nice for it to see the light of day eventually yes. look, we've only waited dave we've only waited 40 years for this this is good this is good christmas uh, so look we've, we've almost gone i didn't realize it was gonna be another yeah. point but so if you could have said to someone to i normally say 18 year old self but actually in your case this doesn't really work does it but if you could have said something to your younger self started out just a whisper you know from the from the experience and the wisdom that you've had over the decades. I just wondered what you would have said to a younger self. <laughs> wow, God, good question. <laughs> um, just go for it. Just yeah, totally yeah. do what we did. Just totally yeah. grasp your opportunities. Go for it. I mean, the the thing about it was, although obviously it was great to have a little bit of interest um, then and now, or whatever, that's fantastic. But the actual fact of of getting together and making something up you know just yeah. getting together and make making some music or whether it's art whatever it might be you know creative, that is creative. Yeah. something creative is, is fantastic yeah. making a podcast you know whatever it is just do it uh, and and enjoy yeah. it and we you know I, I i don't have any kind of things i would look back and say regrets or anything about it whatever it was just like just do do what you got to do. I mean, we we were different, and mm -hmm. a lot of people disliked us, both from the point of view <laughs> of the music, and from just the fact that we were doing something different. I mean, there was a lot of conformity then, and and society, you know, in class, the school we were in, it was everybody was expected to conform, and there was a lot of pressure on that. So, to to do your own thing, you know, as as this is total cliche, but. You know, just just go for it, uh, and yeah. you never know what will come about. You know, yes. what will happen. I think yeah. we've got. Lessons. I mean, I suppose I would say, you know, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would echo a lot of that. I mean, I suppose I would say to myself, it, it, it's kind of believe in it, you know, but also don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> Good. Yes. Okay? 
<laughs> Look, really is the end of the interview with two of the members of the Prats who have a new album, a new compilation that's going to be coming out very soon. And this is going to be titled Prats Way Up High. This is the uh, 13th of November on One Little Independent Record. Records. And um, yes, as John Hill said, one of the best sessions we've had for years. And the Sunday Times has said the band stood as living testament to Punk's claim that anybody could form a band. Having claimed this, Punk was then in no position to set a minimum age limit, indeed. Anyway, so uh, go and check it out, buy it for Christmas. It's got, a yes, 20 tracks, including the John Peel sessions, various demos. It starts with Disco Pope, and um, it's just going to blow your mind. If that's not one for Christmas, then frankly, what's the point of this year or decade? Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, C86 Show. Yes, you'll find it. Keep it positive. And also, all these interviews have been archived. Find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Have a great week. Stay safe.